0: What commercial property should you buy for your first commercial investment property? Hi,
1: I'm Sam Powell. And I'm Jack Krause, and we're the hosts of the Property Powers Australia podcast. And in this episode, we're chatting about more than eight different types of commercial properties and why they're all very different. And we share the nuances between
0: them. Yeah, we look into which ones that typically earn more money and have also more risk versus ones that have the the less income and, and less risk being uh, obviously safer on that front. Yeah, we also discuss which people you should have on your team when buying a commercial property as well. Yeah, then we go down the route of uh, running a few numbers uh, on how much commercial properties make and and how quickly you can actually pay them off, which is um, really interesting. So um, I hope you get a lot out of it. But before we do jump into the episode, I want to tell you that this is not the only way that we do help people for free. We have this really great resource on how to maximize your borrowing capacity Um, so you can purchase a property at a better ROI, uh, which is really going to help your portfolio growth over time. Uh, But head to wwwpropertypalsau forward slash resources to get that free download and see you on the inside. Welcome to Property Pals, the podcast where we share
1: everything around how to build a property portfolio from researching areas, financing, structuring, buying, selling, and reinvesting to live a life of financial independence. As a disclaimer, any information shared by myself, Jared, Sam, and the Property Pals team is strictly general and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should consider seeking independent legal financial and taxation advice from a qualified professional. Commercial property, here we go. Yes, this is gonna be probably a solid podcast. We'll see how we go getting through it all. We might even split into two depending on how big this gets. But what are the different types of commercial property and which ones are right for you? We're going to go on a bit of a run, a commercial property run, uh, Mm. and talk about commercial deals, um, commercial property. Get a few uh, pretty awesome people on uh, that we know uh, to talk about commercial property as well. Uh, But let's get straight to the point because there's a lot to cover. Commercial property. If you haven't already checked out the uh, podcast prior to this one on how to get a deposit, and work your way out of residential property into commercial. Um, there's a lot of value in that. And then once you get your, your deposit ready, then you start thinking about things like, hang on, which which commercial property should I get? And we talk about we're going to talk about finance and all that sort of stuff coming up. But there's so many different types of commercial properties in Sam?
0: Yeah, it's more of a, it's an education process. A lot of people they it's, they're looking for cash flow, and then they find in property they go to all oh, commercial property has good cash flow and. Then I go down the, the questioning of well, what type of commercial property are you looking for mm-hmm. in that sense and a lot of people aren't sure. So uh, I wanted to sort of lay out a few of the, the, the major commercial property types um, in this episode so you can start to get your head around it and then we're going to start working through this, I guess, commercial property series in a way to um, get to that end goal so you can have that more educated understanding as to which type suits you and um, how to get the most out of it and also how to uh, how to value it to make sure you're not overpaying on that front mm. um, and also you know, financing as Jared said. So, yeah. It's a lot to, lot to cover.
1: <laughs> first, let's dive in the first one. Let's talk about
0: retail. Yes. Retail. So, most people like uh, commercial property, right, like we all uh, live in this world. You're, when i talk talking about commercial, it's pretty much um, anything that's, that's not residential that's generating an income um, from the property sense. So, yeah. retail is a big one and that can come in many different forms. You can go to your major shopping centers. That's a whole retail center. Yes. Um, all the way like, down to just your small... Um, boutique you know, shops. Boutique little... Uh, it could be a homeware shop as an example. Mm. So, they... Um, Because there is the wide variety, it also has a a wide budget range and you can get really, really strong cash flow out of retail, actually. Uh, But like everything in property, Mm. it comes with risks. Yeah, typically the higher
1: the risk, uh, the higher the return. Mm. Typically, the lesser the risk, the lesser return in all sort of assets and things that you, I guess, do in life. (laughs) Um, Investing in, investing your time in or your money in. So, retail is that let's get clear is that uh is that uh cafes and stuff like that as well
0: um yeah, you could probably you could put cafes into that um that sense. like that the cafe and restaurants like if you can only get real detail, that's its own sort of sector yeah. because mm-hmm. they've got um, with those food uh, locations that have grease traps, and it's a different type of um approval, like town planning approval. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you can sort of put that on the banner. Like the four major ones are you know, retail, industrial, office, and then you've got your like hotels, basically. And yeah. you can go in the development side, which is yeah, we can go down that another time.
1: Yeah. So let's 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 um, let's then move. If we we talk we're talking about retail, office, industrial, and hotels being the top four, mm. why? Well, actually, let's go through the other three, right? Let's go through office. What's office? It's like well, obviously office buildings. Yep. um, And that can be as you know, big AMP office buildings down to the, you know, a small office block with, you know, a couple of offices in it.
0: Yeah. And that's the, like with retail and office, like they can even interchange. It depends on what um, town planning approval you've mm-hmm. got for, mm-hmm. for that. So, like you, you'll see um, them interchange in those small unit complexes where it might be a, a retail shop front at the start and then that vacates and then you, it goes into a maybe a small business like a mortgage broker for example might um, rent that space and because it's good good frontage and good exposure and, and they want to be there. So those two do go hand in hand. The office side of things, similar to the retail, you can go those high-rise um, office complexes all the way down to your, your real small sort of niche Office um, unit sort of strata title complex. Yeah. So, like, in regards to risks and things like that, like, I, the the big players with a lot of money, they tend to buy the whole asset and they control it and they can get really strong cash flow. But for the majority of people in this world, we don't have, you know, $100 million just to go and buy a property. Mm-hmm. So, um, you yeah, know, I like to look at, well, what's the capital growth prospects as well for each of these different types and the underlying theme is it's similar to that residential side where if you're buying a single office or um, retail complex in a really large complex, then um, you're not going to have that capital growth as strong because you don't have that scarcity level that we talk about um, in residential as well.
1: Yeah, and we're going to do another podcast on uh, the – market cycles of commercial and business and the economy because i mean that really drives different types these different types of uh commercial deals and property so we we won't dive into that because it's it's you know there's different cycles and different ones for for different types but that's another whole
0: pod in itself yeah well let's transition into like the other third Type is industrial and yeah. on a cyclical basis at the moment in Australia we're seeing uh, the logistics booms come through so that yeah. industrial has been very uh, it's performed really well and yeah. um, you know, let's talk about what industrial is so people understand why it's
1: performing well obviously uh, industrial being you know warehouses and all that sort of stuff where e-commerce brands um, are needing manufacturing. They're also needing, you know, like sort of storage, um, order fulfillment, and, you know, since even just before COVID, like we've always seen every single Christmas online sales have increased year on year on year on year, right, because it's easier to buy things online shipping so cheap. So that's why we're in a, in a bit of a boom of the industrial.
0: Yep. Yeah, industrial is pretty much just like that concrete tilt panel. Like, it's pretty simple, uh, but where you just have a lot of uh, small businesses that, that go in there, they can use it as an office front. I mean, there's a big push to where people um, they can find those industrial complexes where they're all sort of strat, tiled. There might be ten in that complex, and then they can have the office front and also be able to store whatever they need to store for their business in yeah. that complex. Yeah. There's another little um like a sector that's come out of that too which is because there's been such high demand there's like a man cave type um, vibe where it's just basically additional storage for people to put their you know cars and boats and mm-hmm. it yeah. depends on the area that you're in um, because you need a bit of excess cash flow to just store all your stuff but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. there's definitely been a push for that especially like on the gold Coast anyway that we're um, seeing but there's there's a few key uh, areas of risk in that too is that the, you've really got to look into the town planning side of it because you can get approval for uh, a man cave or a storage sort of shed is how they sort of outline it because the developers can get through get that through with um, less car park requirements mm-hmm. so they can get more units and they're selling them at a similar process to you know, your standard industrial strata unit but they don't have the town planning approval to actually uh, run that business out of it, mm-hmm. which is really scary. You know, and that's like when you're delving into this, this this world of commercial property, because it is, is new, uh, there's a lot of small differences that can cost you a lot of money. So yeah. and that's why we want to get a few, obviously professionals on the, on the, on the podcast and obviously explain this to you as much as possible. So you go in with your eyes wide open um, as to what you're, you're delving into, so you have the right questions to ask.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So retail, office, industrial, and then we've got hotels this is is the sort of fourth main big one. I know that in America, uh, when people talk about commercial property, uh, a lot of them are talking about buying a hotel and having their risk split between uh, a bunch of different dwellings, or I shouldn't say dwellings, but um, unit blocks or what do they call them? Condos over there? Oh yeah, uh, condos. I think.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, i am trying to. Think. I thought we lived in a condo, but it was just like it looked like a duplex to me. But where in America? Yeah, it's short for condominium.
1: Yeah, so. I think we lived in a duplex when we were living there. Yeah, good times. <laughs> great times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that property had, copped a beating by the time we left because we were a lot younger. And we're filled with a lot more alcohol than we, we are these days, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, Dane, if you're listening to this. We're having a chuckle last time. We we're talking about this one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I said I'd mention him on the podcast.
1: Oh, Dane. So, Dane's our mate that just bought a commercial deal. Um, I actually spoke to him many months ago. He came and thinking about buying a business. And I was like, well, like you could, but he works at different sort of hours. And it wasn't like he wasn't going to be able to be around for the business as much. and. Yeah, he's done quite well in his property journey. So we should actually discuss. We should get him on in the pod.
0: Yeah, well, be, yeah, we will. Uh, we, 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 I'll get him on.
1: Like we're chasing you, Dane. Yeah. You think you can hire just because you're in the
0: SAS? Doesn't mean you, you can hide from us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving moving on. So yeah, hotels, motels, um, they can be really great. Once again, it's a, there's a real niche in it. Um, so understanding how to manage it, yeah. and um, there are risks there. The, there's a real um, push. moment for these like they're generating really good cash flow sorry Mm. so um, the which is is great but i just sort of caveat that with but we're in a you're buying property for always that long-term growth prospect Mm. so a long hold period if you can um so you've got to once again understand the cycle so because vacancy rates around australia are super low motels hotels are really attractive at the moment from a cash flow perspective yeah we were talking about
1: this in the surf weren't we yeah When was that? About a week ago. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. 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 Oh no, we weren't surfing; we were walking. There was no waves. (laughs) Um, The the ROI on that, those hotels and motels, like um,
0: that you were talking about, is quite high. You were saying twenty-five to thirty percent, twenty to thirty percent. Yeah. But then you got to put a manager in place. But Mm -hmm. still, Mm -hmm. really, really strong cash flow at the moment, and it's really attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know. Uh, it depends on where you buy them. It's it's everything to do with it. it's, the cycle, yeah, the cycle, but also yeah, your location and, um, and making sure that that actually fits you know, what it is that you're trying to achieve. Because some of these have a more um, active approach. So with the motels, yeah, it's more active,
1: more active, more risk as well. Like imagine owning a hotel um, through COVID, right? You may mm. be getting twenty percent return per year on it, but you know, COVID hits and you're like, well, there's there's that crazy risk. So it's, it's mm-hmm. understanding, you know, we talked about that before, typically the higher income ones are the higher risky risk ones. So, yeah, yeah. anything else you want to touch on with
0: hotels, like um, and motels? Well, they're kind of your major ones, but like the intricacies of uh, like different types of commercial property. You can go, like we filter them down, like you got healthcare and medical, that kind of can fit in that office. Um, yeah. Environment, it could be an office block, yeah. But yeah. You, you, once again, you need that um, medical approval to, to run that um, business out of that premises. So they're actually really attractive. And, um, I mean, we'll go on different tangents here, but what's yeah, just let's
1: talk about the attractiveness and why because it's, it's important for people to know.
0: Medical is, uh, it, it's less susceptible to downturns, obviously. Even in like a tough economic times, people still have health mm-hmm. complications and they still need to go and see that. So the, those businesses, those are what I call recession-proof. In we're talking side. about
1: doctors here. Uh, we're talking about dentists, dentists physios, physios uh, osteos, um, you know, like radio- radiology, yep, pathology
0: real sticky sort of local businesses that yeah. um, will generate income in any in any market. So like yeah. going um, like the retail side of things, you can get really good cash flow. But yeah, if you know, people's back pockets are starting to, uh, I guess, run out of cash, yeah. then the first, you just think about it from the psyche of your, of your, of your standard um, citizen. What are you going to cut back on first? Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, your discretionary spending.
1: Also, to add to that as well is your doctor. When was the last time your doctor changed locations? When was the last time your dentist changed, changed locations? Typically, these businesses and business owners do not want to change locations because they've got long-standing clients that know where they are and they're not going to book something, rock up for an appointment and be like, oh, you, changed, you, you, you moved. And, you know, they're going to send out notifications if they do move and stuff like that, but they want to be in the same spot, right? They want they want those longer leases and with the longer leases, because they want to stay in the same spot, typically they're the better leases for a commercial deal because it's going to a- allow you to have a higher value for that commercial property. Now, I know we could go in so
0: many tangents here, Sam. With, stick, stick to, with, the, with <laughs> stick <laughs> to the, the, the foundations. As you can see, there's like there's so much to cover here, so we're kind of really excited to share it. Yeah, uh, But yeah, step at a time and um, I'll yeah, jump into the next one too. Which is like going with healthcare. That one, that one's really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, from a like industrial perspective, like there's storage facilities. Even Jared was kind of like, isn't that the same as industrial? And, and the answer is no. Um, it's a different approval once again. But one, it's it's really attractive at the moment. Uh, it seems a lot of people have a lot of stuff in, mm-hmm. in built-out locations. Like they can live in. Uh, say like a, a smaller residence, say like a unit or a, or a smaller house in a really strong location either near the beach or near the city but they still have things that they, they want to hold on to and then storage facilities are obviously the, the great way to do that where they can have like a reasonably low weekly expense to maintain what they what they cherish so much in possessions. Great business to own. Yeah. I
1: think. Yeah, they they I haven't owned one, but from the out from an outside looking in, I mean, it looks decent.
0: And the beautiful thing about commercial too is like the advancement of technology is really you know, helping the passive side of it. Yeah. So storage facilities, there's like applications and um, software systems that you know you can build in where it's you know, touchless. You might have just one manager managing a whole entire complex. Mm. Um, because people you can just have the touch keypads, put it all in. Mm. Um, Obviously, I don't own a, a um, storage facility, love to in um, the future because it seems quite passive in that front uh, but there's specialists and this is going further through into it, it's like um, no no one knows everything and there's specialists in each different area. So there's specialist buyers agents in storage facilities, there's specialist buyers agents in industrial. It's just making sure that you talk to the right people. So We will
1: talk to buyers agents as well. Um, for commercial for these commercial properties because just like in residential we definitely push you to go if you're investing it's worth having a buyer's agent in residential for commercial it's that much more important because the the amount of numbers the air the locations uh, the due diligence that goes into buying a commercial deal is far needs to be far more thorough than say a residential deal because there's typically far more at stake with the market conditions that can can, that can be more volatile i guess depending on where you purchase than say residential where people are always going to need somewhere to live i have heard arguments on that sam as well around like well hang on a second if people are always going to need to live and eat food and all that sort of stuff then you know, commercial property is important because you need to make the raw materials in these warehouses. You need to produce the food in these different locations, and you need to have the retail shops like Coles and Woolworths and all that sort of stuff open. So there are arguments in so many different directions.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. Um, a really good point. I w- would like to get sort of that uh, flushed out during this series too. And I'd, yeah. I'd say, um, the real due diligence comes into assessing the business that's renting it from you. So that de-risks it massively. Absolutely. And yeah, like that's why it's commercial. You, there's a, uh, say you get more capital growth out a residential than you do commercial. Mm-hmm. I, I still am on that fence, but there are some really key ways that you can actually outperform markets in commercial by value adds or you know, buying really well. because um, so it is based off an income approach, so you can, it, it's, it makes more sense from a dollars or numbers perspective because you can, like a, a value that comes in, you know, I used to value the commercial properties, it's based on the net level area. If you can add net level area, then you can increase the value of that premises because mm-hmm. like it, it's a multiple. So if you can add a mezzanine to an industrial, then you increase that net level area, people pay a higher rate for that, therefore the property value increases. It's pretty like one plus one equals two. Mm. Whereas with residential, if you go, oh, I'll add another bedroom to this this whole entire house, it's like, well, that bedroom might cost you 100 grand to actually build that whole thing. Will that add 100 grand of value? Well, the market will decide that. Yeah. And um, obviously you'd hope that happened, but I've valued a lot of residential properties where you know, they did those extensions and, they overcapitalized for that area, and it wasn't justified on a valuation basis. Where with the commercial side, we found that it was just it was more yeah simpler to one plus one equals two.
1: Yeah, I think I've said this before as well as like if you're going to do renovations on a residential property, <clears throat> look at the market and see what the market wants because the market will pay for it, and it's the same with your com- your commercial is like do your tenants want a mezzanine do they need more storage do they need another office area in the mezzanine like it's you're finding that out um for what the market wants they'll end up paying for it which ends up boosting definitely boosting
0: the valuation of your property yeah key thing going on that mezzanine and industrial side is uh, a lot of those mezzanines are built but they're not approved Mm. and um you shouldn't be paying full freight for an unapproved mezzanine and I've seen even buyers agents actually buying property on a full freight rate because I haven't actually checked the approval that's gone through mm. uh, which is scary and I'll, I'll get um, one of my good mates to jump in, um, Jake, he's a senior commercial valuer and um, he's seen some pretty scary stories which it's good to share so as I said, eyes wide open um, and cause it, it is hundreds of thousands, often millions of dollars that you're going through. so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just good to understand these things before you, um, you know, just blindly trust someone to do a job for you.
1: Yeah. So back on track. Storage facilities. Uh, anything to add before we move on to car parks?
0: Uh, car parks are kind of like that. Like they're they're a bit of a niche one, mm. but I thought I'd throw it in there just as a look. You, you can generate money out of it. You can even you can generate money out of anything. You can get a block of land. You can put some. You know, just here's a car park. Go and park it, and just charge them a a few. Um, bucks an hour Mm -hmm. um but yeah in the cities i mean in brisbane cbd it's 50 bucks an hour sometimes
1: i think it's worth to note that yeah exactly and that's depend like especially if you know the football's on you know people pay a higher price for parking because it's so much harder to find um, in those areas or any sporting event or any event for that matter but i think it's worth mentioning that all of these commercial we've got more to go through, but all of these commercial deals can be not to saying they should be, but they can cross over and you know, mix. Like you can have uh, an office building with retail shops at the bottom. yeah you, well, you can you get into that, mate. Okay. Oh, it's got mixed use down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> Jump the list. All right, we'll go one more, petrol stations. Oh, car parks, like, oh, the little thing that comes to my head,
0: car parks generally are a sign of like, developers buy a site, they might land bank it and put a car park on it, you know, where it's like a pretty simple um, construction method just to sit there and they can hold that asset because they generate a bit of cash flow out of it um, and it might be, you know, <coughs> they're doing a high-rise development and it takes a few years to get approvals through and everything. So just keep that in the back of your head. But... um yeah, they can generate some good income, um, and it's just more of that. Like, well, I look at car parks as a development site with good income um, to put you into the next stage. So it's a it's a cool little multi stage process that you can go through. Um, but yeah, next one would be petrol stations.
1: Yeah, petrol stations. I've heard people uh, had I've heard people do well. Um, so my old mentor, um, one of my previous mentors, I should say. Um, he had somebody come and talk with him and, you know, they used to help, love helping people buy petrol stations. They did really well, but also they'd seen a lot of people do really badly mm. from buying petrol stations as well. So, yeah, how much do you know about petrol stations, Sam?
0: Um, <laughs> I've made a couple in my valuation years. Um, it's a niche project. So project I was basically just a valuer, working with a senior valuer who was running the show. Um, so, my mind goes, like, petrol's stations have a really strong uh, cash flow so the, the tenants are obviously paying you good income and you've got really um, solid tenants like BP or mm-hmm. Coles, Caltechs, things like that. More than often than not they own their own sites but you can get um, petrol stations that are independently owned and they sell that land and then um, you can obviously have that tenant in there. There's just complexities with development with petrol sites is that like the land gets contaminated so you know, if you want to change that out of a petrol station to something else there's a lot of um, you got to like infill the land and, and wait a certain amount of years to ensure that there's no toxicity levels in that land through all the, the fuel that's been stored under the ground because all petrol stations they yeah. have massive tanks underground yeah um, so there's you know keys in that to really understand I'd go further into it to say well where is this is the economic cycle stuff where's it where's it pushing for petrol stations, like there's this yeah. massive push for electronic vehicles and doing all that, so <laughs> just changing the contrast, Ch- changing the contrast.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it, who knows, who knows what's going to happen, and maybe petrol stations do change into big power stations where you can get rapid, rapid charging um, on the road. Right. and maybe we do need less because people have it at their homes uh, but maybe they can get cheaper charging in petrol stations so we don't know what that's what's come with that um, you need to do a lot of research and i guess it's all still based on what the economy is doing and the cycles doing and then what is allowed with electric driving in in each country and, and the legislation what what I think with petrol stations is um, a huge risk is location. Like, you really want to have something that's a good location. Like, we've all seen it where we used to go to a petrol station or we know a petrol station that was like really convenient to go to. And then the, the roads have changed, right? And there's nothing you can do about it when the government's saying, hey, we're going to change direction of traffic
0: here. Yep. And you can lose so much, so much uh, income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's, it happens here, you see it all the time, and like direct access off the, the motorway, and then mm-hmm. the motorway expands, they can't get the direct access, so they have to go down a side street, mm-hmm. and you're on the motorway drive, and then you're like, well, while well, I go to that petrol station, I've got to go do a big loop to go back around, to so just pay them pretty much the same price as the old way down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really good point. Uh, but they are like, uh, what interests me is they generally have really good road side exposure. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, you can you can switch them into something else in the future
1: yeah you can add like a little coffee sh- drive through a coffee thing uh you, there's so many things you can add to it but if you really if cool. you are
0: looking at a petrol station like you you do need millions it's they're not they're not cheap what are we talking we're talking like four yeah, depends so i mean it depends on location you can go to like a regional location and you, know, you might you know, be a mill or two mil, mm. but um they generally have really strong cash flow. They are, they are in high demand, like similar to, uh, that's another one, is uh, childcare centres. Um, yeah. But we'll jump into that one next while we're talking about it. But, yeah, there's there's always um, there's a lot of complexities. And if you are going on that path and finding a specialist petrol station, you know, a valuer is the, is the key on that front to understand its value. Mm-hmm. But then even going further into... Uh, yeah, you know, there's not really anyone on the top of my mind that specialises as a buyer's agent in petrol stations. So, um, it's understanding who owns a petrol station trying to find that person to go, Well, what are the what are the pros and cons and how can you maximize the potential of the site? So you there's a lot of due diligence that goes into that and you generally find the more expensive an asset is, the more due diligence you need to conduct.
1: Um, I do know somebody that might be able to help with that is pretty good at buying perturbations. The person I was mentioned before, Tyson. So if anybody wants to reach out, um, I can probably put you in touch with him. Before we continue today's pod, I want to ask you a few questions.
0: What is your property investment goal? What type of properties do you want to own? How many? What size valuation property portfolio do you want to own? And how much net income do you want to be earning? Essentially, what's your magic number in passive income that you want to
1: be earning? And do you know how to get there? And if you do, Do you know how to get there in the least time possible with the least amount of risk? Sam and I have been helping people invest in property and build property portfolios for years. People who are now replacing their income through property and we want to help you do the same. Right now, for a limited time, we are offering free property coaching to our listeners. We won't be able to do this forever, of course, so head to propertypals.au forward slash coaching. That's propertypals.au forward slash coaching to see how we can help you achieve your investment property goals. Link will be in the description too. Yeah, let's move to uh, child cares. What I think about child care centers, similar to healthcare and medical, is like, um, people will, in times, maybe pull their kids out of childcare, but the location thing, I can't see many childcares like being stoked to move location. Like I'm sure they're going to want a longer tenancy to
0: secure that, yeah, they're sticky. that place. for Yeah, they're very sticky. There's even a like there's people out there that buy sites, get the childcare approval and sell them. Mm. Uh, and that's just what they do every day, which is pretty – Pretty smart, really. Don't have to touch anything. Don't deal with builders or anything like that. But um, really strong cash flow. And with childcare centers, you can buy just the land and then just rent it out to the business. Mm. Um, There's like the, the freehold and the leasehold. Um, so yeah, or, or you can buy both where you, you you buy the land and the business and then you, you run them both. And then the cash flow, if you do that, is phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, really sticky, high demand because... More and more people like, um, you know, we, workforce people going back to the workforce after having children, mm-hmm. um, needing that help. There's always, um, in those key locations, even wait lists. And <laughs> I mean, I've got kids at daycare at the moment, and it's it grinds me because you sit there and it's mm-hmm. like we we send Archie to uh, daycare on a Friday, and if it's a public holiday, we still pay, if it's if you're mm-hmm. sick, you still pay. It's just like you, you pretty much go or we break up at a whole annual fee and you just pay weekly and we don't <laughs> care if he's there or not. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you, there's no negotiation, <laughs> which I don't like. But, hey, that's I the world we live. living. buy myself some child cares. <laughs> yeah, but once again, you, you're not you, – it depends on your budget too, right? Yeah. Like and understanding what is your budget and, what's, and then your risk appetite because, yeah. like, there is low risk in those child cares, um, so you'll get that lower cash flow, but it's more – You know, it's a sleep at night factor, Yeah, I think it's
1: really, I think, I I don't know, it depends on people's like risk tolerance, but I like the ideology of if you're going to buy your first commercial deal coming out of residential, why not go for less risk and less income just to, you know, I mean, you're still going to make superior income than residential anyway, so why not just
0: like not try and, you know, be a hero. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, there's specialist um, child care center valuers, like the, sort of like that. The valuation industry is, it's like no one, it's, it's not spoken about because, I mean, valuers are all so busy just doing what they do every day and um, then you get the buyer's agent industry where all they want to do is sell you, is is sell you something or like, like market themselves, it's, it's um, but the skill set to actually do all the work is not there. Um, so this is this is key, right? While we're trying to um, put you in contact with the right people and even ask the right questions. Um, yeah, childcare centres going back to that is uh, really really strong. Um, I guess cash flow for the for the risk that you're taking on. Um, but yeah, some people might you sit there and you've got five million bucks and uh, you can go and buy an industrial at maybe a six to seven percent. Uh, a 7% net yield or you go to a, a childcare centre and it's paying you 4% mm-hmm. and it's like well that money can generate this. It's just that which which side of the seat you want to sit on and also understand the business as well. Um, childcare centres, is it's, it's good to understand the businesses that you're essentially renting your property out to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that um, explanation of opportunity costs as like do you, you know, which, which which asset do you purchase and, and why? Depending on your where you're at in your journey. So, um, last sort of one, I guess, is before we talk about mixed use and and how. I mean, most people listening probably going to understand what mixed use looks like, but development sites.
0: Mm, yeah, not my like. There's a specialist buyer's agent. Um, I do like the the small scale, like one into two, one into mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. Um, development sites, but. Um, like the true development sites, that's that's a multi-lot um, project, right? And it could yeah. be you buy the land, you cut it up and you sell each individual lots, individual lots off or mm-hmm. you, you buy the, the land and you do a unit complex or a townhouse complex. Yeah. Um, so um, that's it's kind of like its own little uh, area, to be fair. Like there's commercial, I kind of look at that as developing. developing. Yeah. Uh, but you can get the best of both worlds where you can buy a commercial property and there's like excess land to develop on and it becomes a site. So mm-hmm. there's um, like a, a good play with some of the industrial stuff is buying the, the whole site. So you own like the, the whole bit of land oh, yeah. and then you can actually go, well, there's a whole bunch of um, hard stand area there that you could probably rent out. So you can put a fence down it, or you could even subdivide that off if you can and you can develop that side out.
1: Hard stand area let's talk about that, that's something that's been that is used in commercial, what is hard stand area Sam?
0: Well it's just basically they've um, been able to pack down that land and put gravel or concrete over it to allow you know machinery to be driving around on it, because if you just have land you've got these semi-trailers or these these massive trucks going in and out they'll get bogged in wet conditions and it's just a nightmare so um, there's different types of Hard stand areas, um, but and, and they pay you, you pay more on weight per square meter, obviously. So, the hard stand, obviously, then yeah, yeah, then just dirt. <laughs> yeah, so you see some places where it's just like, oh, store your, all your caravan stuff, and um, you yeah, know, they're just that uh, gravel hard stand, they have certain weight limitations. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's a you can hold a, a bit of land and, and make some money out of it for doing not a lot, yeah. Uh, and, and then once again, you've got the lease of a as many improvements on the site then you have less maintenance so it's pretty much just clipping the ticket mm-hmm. store your stuff here for yeah, however long you want and you' will um kind of in that storage facility yeah <laughs> yeah realm. but yeah the development sites they do mix really well into commercial but i mean if you're looking for, for a true development site then um you know, go and speak to actual development specific buyers agent and come yeah. have a chat to us and there's some really great ones out there and they specialize yeah. and they do it every day and there's a lot of um, intricacies, and that really comes in understanding what approvals you can get on a site and its highest and best use. Yeah, if you want to go down development,
1: we'll, we'll be able to refer you to some people. Uh, so, all
0: of these are um, can be mixed use. Yeah, yeah. So, mixed use, going back to before I cut you off earlier, <laughs> cause you're jumping the gun. Um, this, this episode, we actually wrote a few notes down, which is just like, 10 or so little dot points. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah mixed use is yeah i mean a common sort of expression is you you can have a you'll see those ones where there's the retail at the bottom floor and then you might have a maybe an office or commercial on the on the, the second floor because mm-hmm. your retail want that foot traffic mm-hmm. that's, that's coffee awesome. shops, could be boutique shops could be a few
1: different things in there yeah i mean seven no. eleven yeah you could even have like a a dentist down there i know that I know in palm Beach you've got below. Uh, a residential building. You've got a dentist, and you've got a Thai um, food shop. Food shop, yeah, a restaurant, and then you've got another restaurant under it as well. So, yeah, yeah they're they're
0: good from a like a a risk perspective. So, you, like if you have the the amount of money to to go down this path, mm. um, yeah, you, know, you generally there's retail, commercial, residential, or retail, residential, or you know, like a office space, then resi or something like that. Yeah, so yeah you're getting that really good cash flow from the commercial aspect of the property. Um, and then you're getting that, uh, you know, the, the, the residential side of it where people are, they have to live there. They're paying that rent. So you can get, um, you know, decent cash flow out of it. And it, it your diversification is, is, is good because you've got multiple different tenants in multiple different facets of the, the property cycle. So you've got residential mm-hmm. office retail. So it's, um, It's a cool little play. You'd obviously, because you're doing, say, residential and retail, you wouldn't, if you had like a budget of two million bucks, you know, you'd get better cash flow if it was full retail because they have those higher rates, but then you don't, you have that higher risk as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Let's talk about the uh, higher risk, um, higher income, less risk, less income. We talked about it a little bit, but uh, I guess. And we have shared some that are less risky and some that are a bit more risky. Let's categorize a bunch of them into like, and this is typical, this is typical because uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be based on the location, it's going to be based on the, the business. As we said before, you need to do your due diligence on each thing. But typically, like, we want to talk about like what are the typically less risky commercial properties to purchase versus the. Ones that have a little bit more risk, and why? Why would I ask such a question? It's for somebody that's thinking about what ones do I go and purchase, like, and why. So, what ones would you categorize as like starter ones where people are looking at, you know, a little bit less risk and less income? We mentioned one, obviously, um, you know, healthcare, medical, but.
0: Yeah, I'd, um, like, if for, you for starting out, I'd be looking at those, you know, industrial or, like, sort of, um, I mean, mixed use in, in a way or where you can basically have multiple tenancies in, in one complex. So, that's a good way to de-risk it. Mm, uh, because you've got, you know... Um, you want to three tenants on, on one side. up, yeah. Yeah, so if one vacates, then your cash flow is not, you know, or like, fully just stopped on that day, yeah. And we've got the other two tenants paying your income, so that's a good way to de risk it. Industrial- Divers- diversification was the word I was thinking about that couldn't get out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, really good question. So, like, industrial is in favor at the moment, mm. um, it's more so just making sure you're not overpaying on that front. Uh, the office. Uh, there is a little bit of a, um, surge back in the office market at the moment, but you know, during COVID because everyone was basically work from home, Mm -hmm. that office market just tanked, you know, and like no one saw that coming. Um, so that- Same with
1: hotels and motels, no one saw that coming.
0: Yeah. And and that's the risk too, is like, Mm -hmm. like there's always risk in investing. Um, it's just making those calculated risks and, uh, Having these hard conversations up front to say well can you carry this if this happens mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing that i talk about with people if they are thinking commercial after their residential is mm-hmm. look this might be vacant for three to six months and then you might have to offer a three month you know letting up period so there could be like no cash flow coming through for nine months how would that actually feel and then it's like oh no that'd be the worst thing in the world but then you go there's a tenant here you know, there's a five year lease, the business is solid, you're buying it in they've got four years left of that, that lease, and the cash flow after all, all expenses is forty thousand dollars in your back pocket. Yeah. You sit there and go, Do you want that? And the answer forty thousand dollars a year, roughly. Yeah. 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 And you're like, Well, the cash flow is great, there's opportunity there, you know, there is those black swan events that come through, no one actually knows them. But if you live your life in fear, then you'll you're not you're not going to go down that path and you should probably stick to that more residential um, aspect
1: of it. Or even if you do, are a little bit sceptical still, like, oh, I hope, like, no, no, my tenant doesn't leave me. After a year, you've got 40 grand cash. Don't go and spend it on, you know, cars and jet skis. Put it in a, a, you know, a linked account against the mortgage or the finance on that property for a rainy day and Mm -hmm. have that as a bit of a war chest. It's... It's gonna. It's really good for sleep at night factor versus all oh, being very like you know go away okay, and like great I'm earning all this money I'm earning five grand a month let's go and yeah. buy buy a boat buy stuff you know like <laughs> yeah.
0: it's you yeah yeah you really want to be focusing on that yeah you de risk as much as possible so building up that cash flow buffer just so, so if there was a nine month layout up period and you had hundred k in your offset facility then mm-hmm. you can ride that out so if that you know, worst case scenario happens. That's it's just planning up front to say, yeah. you know, you've got those things in place. Like, you should never buy any property with every single dollar that you have. Yeah. or well,
1: you should – I don't think you should do that with anything you've got, really. It's – you. like, what happens if you have a car crash and you need to, you know, pay for medical expenses that mm. you were unforeseen? Like, you
0: just – it's just a scary thing. Yeah. yeah. Some people get sold and the ego gets in place. And, yeah. Um – you know, they push it to the limits, and they're the ones that uh, unfortunately have those negative stories. But yeah, property is—it's a pretty simple process. It is scarcity. If you're buying in the right locations, you, know, you get that capital growth, and with, with cash flow too from commercial, it helps you pay down that debt faster. I mean, generally, if you can find a commercial property that's yielding around that seven percent, if you utilize all that cash that you're receiving from it to pay down that debt, you can pay down that debt within that ten-year time frame. Mm-hmm. And then you can go and enjoy it, you know, like, it's like, you've got a debt-free asset that's just sending out cash to you every single month. It's fantastic. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty
1: big thing that you just mentioned there. And I want to really emphasize it, that like, guys, it's an average thing to do. If you buy a commercial property, on average, you can pay it off in 10 years. Yeah, it's not like a 30-year mortgage for a property that you own. Like, it can be done. You could... Maybe even pay it off faster depends on if you want to cash inject into it as well. So it's definitely, you know, when you think about it, if you're buying a, a million dollar, uh, let's just use round figures, million dollars, and you're getting you know fifty grand a year in net income mm-hmm. from that, and you pay that off over ten years, it's very achievable too. And to it's just, which is very achievable. Uh, then after ten years, you know that property is going to grow in value and capital growth because it's. It's not like what most people are saying is like, you know, capital you don't get capital growth in commercial. You do, depending on the locations, of course. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, once you pay that off in 10 years, you're going to have more than a 50K wage without any debt, right? You can have a lot more.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, if you, let's go calculate Calculator. If you get one5 say so it goes up to $1.5 million, that's only a... Which okay. is pretty conservative. On a 5%... Yield that's 75 grand. It's probably should be on my head, but anyway,
1: yeah, um, that's 75 grand, but you still don't have to pay the mortgage yeah. anymore, so you're yeah. gonna have that on top of it as well,
0: yeah. So just 75 grand in your back pocket, yeah, because you made that decision 10 years ago to buy a million dollar asset that's giving you five percent net yield, mm-hmm. and then you pay it down, and it's like, well, um, that's a lot easier than working for it, but it'd be <laughs> more than 75 grand, wouldn't it? Because you've got you don't have to pay the mortgage on it anymore. Well, that's the net, the, the initial. Um depends on what debt level you go into it with. Yeah, but if you have no debt, like if you pay off the debt in 10 years' time. Yeah, yeah. that's Well, it depends on the yield too. Yeah. It's 5%. Yeah. That's the 5% net yield on that um, asset itself. So that's how it's it's valued. But you, the lower debt that you have, obviously, the, the greater cash flow, and that's where that initially comes from. So exactly. this is the biggest thing. Uh, when we're talking about net yields as well, probably breaking this down further, um, is... <laughs> if you've got borrowing against that then you get that net yield but then you've got whatever your payments are on that exactly and then that in my mind I call that a net net yield which is after all debt all expenses everything is your in your back pocket that's your net net yield mm-hmm. so where it gets a little bit confusing so it's just like if you do have questions obviously reach out and have that conversation but um, there's there's like, there's the capitalization range, which is basically the, the net yields mm-hmm. that they run off. Um, and this is all just jargon in industry, so I'm sorry if it's sort of confusing. <laughs> but um, you they can increase, and in the, like, the lower the, the, the yield component, generally, the higher the value becomes. So you've seen, like, over the, um, the last five years, you've seen um, a lot of industrial go from a 9% net yield down to a 6% net yield. And by doing that, like as an, exa- as an example, I got it. So if you've got a um, asset that's generating $50,000 in income and you're at a 9% net yield, then you divide that by the yield. It's like, I have to do the figures. Yeah. Um, but you can kind of see where it's, that's a million bucks. Yeah, If you get that same um, income. But the net yield's different. Yeah, that's five hundred so yeah. From a nine percent net yield, that was a five hundred and fifty-five thousand dollar asset. Yeah, bought it. Yeah. Um. You know, if you're still generating that same level of income, but if the, the rate drops down to a five uh, percent, mm-hmm. that becomes a million dollar asset. Yeah. And that's all because it's the, the demand for it's there, and people like what they're actually doing is this: like they're they're willing to pay more money for that income that it's generating. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and and it's also less risk typically yeah yeah and that's what it, it all everything comes down to the the commercial in my mind it is what's the risk factor and that's what you know, people are out there they're chasing like there's a lot of people with a lot of money in this world whether you believe it or not there's uh, yeah and they're just looking for ways to store their their wealth mm-hmm. so then they go around going well where can I store it and properties. That's safe. It's safe, yeah. You, I mean, you can put it in the banks, but you know, banks—they have a two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars limit on what they actually can guarantee you. So, if you have a million bucks in the bank, and for some reason that bank defaults or someone hacks seven fifty grand gone. Seven fifty gone. They only do—they only insure you for two hundred and fifty. So, if you do have all this cash in a bank, you should be buying property, in my opinion. Um, if you don't want to do that, then at least go to four different banks and have that risk two fifty between 250 bank. banks, Yeah. Yeah, which you wouldn't do because you'd be burning a hole in your pocket, i.e., cap
1: uh, opportunity costs. So you you are better off putting it somewhere that's not at risk
0: to inflation as well. Yeah, because that a million dollars will yeah deflate over time. And Clearly, then,
1: not a financial advice here.
0: No, no, it's just <laughs> general advice only. Uh, but yeah, there's um, different things into it. Um, for for me, like this, that's what I would do is go down that route. I'd, I don't want to keep my money in cash because it it's becoming less and less over time. Mm-hmm. Um and utilizing I mean the debt millionaire book to um uh, mm-hmm. understand how how money works is really key in this uh current sort of conversation. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Well, guys, that's a wrap. That's such a big pod. I uh, hope you've got a lot of value from it. I'm sure you've got a gazillion questions after this one. Send them in, hello at propertypals.au, and we will get them answered because this is the next step that most people take when they're moving from residential and you want to make the right move. So we can answer your questions and then we can refer you to great buyers, agents, great valuers, and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, will speak to you soon.
0: And stay tuned for the following episodes to unpack even more. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening.